Well, our hope and our prayer today is that your Easter will be blessed, most blessed, not just because you've been with LifePoint, but in being with us, Christ becomes more real, more hopeful, more evident, more filling in your life. Today, I want to talk to you about first importance. And I want to help us set our minds for the message today by asking you, what is of first importance to you in your life? What's your first priority? And what receives that first importance to you? Have you ever wondered why something really mattered? Maybe you've asked, why does this really matter anyway about some situation or circumstance in life? And it, it really doesn't matter whether it's something that we look at in a young child's life that seems to be the center of their life if they don't have it and they're demanding it or wanting it. And we ask, what in the world does this matter for? Why is this happening? And if you're the parent of a toddler or up, you've asked that, right? And it seems of such minute importance, but it matters to them. And in that moment, you see how it matters to them, and you realize it does matter. It does matter. And then there are other times of life when, when we're faced with hardship, uncertainty, when we're faced with challenges of life, and we're caused to think about the things that really matter to us. And and in those moments, life has a way of really clarifying, cutting through the clutter and bringing into a crystal clear focus the things that are most important. What I want to ask you today is whether it seems like it's in the small details of life or whether it's in the ultimate issues of life. What matters most to you? Actually, the question should be put, who matters most to you. We've been in a series studying the book of 1 Corinthians. And in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses what he calls of first importance. And what he's talking about is a first priority for life. And I want to take just a moment and read the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 15 for us as we begin this morning. And Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared. And at that point, he begins to talk about in succession who it was that Christ appeared to. Over 500 personal eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. 
You see, as Paul begins 1 Corinthians, he spends the first two and a half or three chapters establishing what the gospel is. What is this good news that we have because of Jesus Christ? And he talks about the word of the cross. And he talks about how by faith the spirit of the living God comes to live within us and and lead us as we walk each day of our life. And then... About the third chapter, he begins to apply it to specific situations that the church in Corinth is addressing. And as he moves through the letter, at chapter 15, there's only two chapters remaining. And so Paul is preparing to conclude his letter to the Corinthians. And what he saves for last is what? It's the best. It's not the best because it's the only. It's the best because he deals with the ultimate issues of life. Those things that are universally true to all of us as humans, as people. And he applies the gospel even in those situations. And what he says to us beginning in verses 1 through 4 is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ unlocks the power of the gospel and our new life in Jesus. And let me give you two quotes that authors have said about the meaning and the, the mattering, if you will, of the resurrection One author states, after more than 700 hours of studying this subject and thoroughly investigating its foundation, I came to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men. Or, it's the most fantastic fact in history. You see, what I'm asking you today is what you believe about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This same author states in another writing that we must look at the facts of Jesus' resurrection and understand that he is either a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord. And again, that's what we're asking today. Another author writes that the resurrection is the one event in humanity that harmonizes all other facts of Jesus' history. You see, the resurrection is the exclamation point of the gospel. In salvation, this is what God exclaims to us through the resurrection, that first of all, he promised it because he says here that Jesus died according to the Scriptures. That phrase, according to the Scriptures, tells us that from all eternity past and what is recorded from Genesis 1 all the way through the Gospels is that God has promised that he would send a Messiah who would save his people. And so the resurrection proves that God has made his promise of salvation. But he also says that he died according to the scriptures and that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so it tells us not only is our salvation what God has promised, but it's what God has provided. You see, because of the resurrection, we understand that the cross was not just any other death by crucifixion. Because there were common criminals of that day that died on either side of Jesus. What made Jesus' cross any different than the two flanking his right or his left? God's promise 
and what he was providing in that death. And you see what the resurrection does is it proves that what God did on the cross in Jesus Christ was provide salvation that he had been promised. You see, the resurrection means that Jesus' death and burial make sense. They matter, if you will, that he has power over life, that Jesus demonstrates power over death. You see, Jesus is the only man who ever dared to walk into hell of his own volition and then to walk out unscathed the same. That's what the scriptures teach us that Jesus did between the day he was crucified and the day he was resurrected. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He crushed Satan. And in so doing, he showed that Satan had no power, had no authority over Jesus. And when our lives are by faith in Jesus, death and sin and hell have no authority over us either. You see, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, God's promise in all of Scripture would have been nothing more than a grandiose political stump speech. That's really all it would have been, meaningless. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, then his death would have been nothing more than the death of any other common criminal that was crucified in that day and in that time. If the resurrection had not occurred, it says that our faith as Christians would be futile and we would be most pitied of all people. But in verse 20, Paul says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he says this, The first fruits is what he calls him. That verse, friends, gives us two critical elements that we need to understand in knowing how the resurrection matters of first importance for us. First of all, he says, but in fact. Did you realize that the resurrection is one of the most historically documented events in all of human history? It's not just true spiritually, it is true historically. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave, that the tomb was empty, was attested to by hundreds of people who saw him, who saw the empty tomb, who knew that the tomb had been sealed, who knew that the Roman Empire, who ruled for over 1,500 years, had put their best soldiers to guard the tomb so the hoax could not be perpetrated that they feared, and yet the strongest power of government on the earth couldn't keep Jesus from coming out of the grave. But, in fact, in fact, Jesus was raised. And it also tells us this, that he was the first fruits. Do you know what first fruits are? First fruits are representative. They are given as the first portion in order to represent the whole. So what is it that Jesus represents the whole, if you will, as the first fruit? All of those who will be raised to new life because of their faith in Him. You see, He represents our hope. 
our power for new life. And we, all who put their faith in him, will be resurrected, raised to ultimate eternal life. And God's given us that promise and proven that he can do it by the first fruit he gave in Jesus Christ. And so that brings us back to Paul's beginning and Paul's matters of first importance. You see, the gospel is of first importance for us today because what we have by faith in Jesus is not like anything else that we have. For Jesus provides all that we need in life. And that's why I pose the question today, what is of first importance for you? What is of first importance in your life? Think about, if you will, a time in your life when life was hard, when you felt like you were in a hopeless situation, or when you felt like you were seeing a situation, maybe even in the life of another person, and you saw no hope for that situation. You saw no way to come through that situation or to keep going because of that situation. Where did you find your hope? Where did you find your courage to keep going? Where did you find your victory over the condemnation that you felt because of sin in your life? Wherever you turn in the moments when life's hardness hits you is one primary indicator to reveal where you're looking, where your first priority of life lies. And wherever you go, And whatever you turn to when life is hard, I want to encourage, yea, even persuade you today to set Christ of first importance in your life. Because, friends, the gospel is of first importance because it anchors our life eternally in Jesus And that's our hope. You see, by faith through the gospel, Jesus becomes our all in all. He doesn't matter to give us a perfect life. That's not what we're purporting here today. There's no Christian who's ever walked the face of the earth that lived a perfect life on this earth. But we worship the only one who did live a perfect life, and that's Jesus And because he lived a perfect life, it qualified him to die a perfect death, a substitutionary, sacrificial death in our place to atone for our sins. And when he did that and then was raised from the dead, he gives to us the forgiveness of our sin. And he gives to us his life, his righteousness his well-being. And so that's the gospel. It's the good news that God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. That in Jesus we have forgiveness of our sins. We've been reconciled to God, our creator, in relationship with him. We've had our condemnation removed, the guilt and the shame that sits upon us because of sin. And we've been filled with his love and with his peace and with his joy that lasts forevermore. And that's who Jesus is for those who place their faith in him. And that's why Jesus matters more than anything else. And I persuade you to place your faith and make him your first importance today. I want to offer you four eternal blessings to persuade you to set Jesus as your first importance today. The first 
The first eternal blessing that I would offer to you is actually at the end of chapter 15 instead of the beginning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there with me for just a moment. I'm going to turn here first because in the end of the chapter, Paul deals with the ultimate issues that we're confronted with in life. And the first eternal blessing I want you to see is this, that when we place our faith in Jesus through the gospel, the resurrection secures our victory over death and sin. The resurrection secures our victory over death and sin. Look with me in verse 51 at the end. It says this, we shall not all sleep, that means die, but we shall all be changed. In other words, Paul said, there will be some who are still living on the earth when Jesus returns, but there will be none who by faith in Jesus will not be changed. And then in verse 54 at the end, he begins this grand declaration of Jesus' victory over death when he says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the resurrection secures our victory over death and sin because Jesus conquered death. He conquered sin when he rose from the grave. And this provides for us an ultimate victory in this life. And while we don't experience the full ultimate victory until eternity comes and Christ's second coming, we have in this life evidences of that eternal victory through the victory over the sin in our own life. You see, while we're not made perfect, Jesus' resurrection does change everything for us. And one way that we get a glimpse of his ultimate victory is when we put our faith in Him and look to Him as our first priority and we find victory over the sins that shame us, that condemn us, that enslave us. I want to illustrate this first eternal blessing through a testimony for you this morning of a young man who found victory over his sin when Jesus mattered most to him. Five years ago, I came to the realization that I had an addiction to pornography. My name is Ben Wright, and I've been attending LifePoint Church for three years now. I grew up in a very moral home. My mom was a single mom, did, did the best she could to raise us. So I was always taught the do's and don'ts of Christianity, but not necessarily Jesus. I always thought of myself to be a good person. I always did everything right. I always thought highly of myself. But at the age of 10, I got my first look at pornography, and for the next decade, I lived a life of guilt, shame, and enslavement. What pornography does to the mind is that it really devalues the humanness of another person. I started to view women as objects for my satisfaction instead of image bearers of God. I could see this all throughout high school and every relationship I had because of my addiction, my relationships always ended up unhealthy. The way I, I treated the women was based solely upon my satisfaction, not for their well-being or their good. It was my senior year of high school and I was dating a girl who claimed to love Jesus. She called herself a Christian and this was new to me. 
I always considered myself to be a Christian because I called myself a good moral person and I grew up in cultural Christianity. So I had friends with Christians, so I just always thought I was a Christian. But she really started to challenge me that a Christian is one who places their faith in Christ. So she started inviting me to church, and of course I went. And so week after week after week, I would continue to go. I wasn't convinced yet. I would, I would you know, try to debate her, try to prove her wrong. But I just remember one moment, it was in the fall of my senior year, uh, the gospel was presented and something just touched my heart. I can't even explain it, but I was just brought to tears. And it was during the worship song that I realized that I needed to give my life over to Christ. And so it was in that moment that I placed my faith in Jesus. And because of that, I realized that I had an addiction. I had a problem. And I couldn't serve both pornography and Jesus. Pornography had to go. Though I was saved my senior year of high school, it wasn't until about my sophomore year of college when I realized I really, really had to give up this addiction. It was ruining every relationship I had, especially the relationship with the girl that led me to Christ. And at that moment, I literally just fell down on my face and my knees in tears, asking God, God, you have got to break this for me. I don't have the strength in and of myself to overcome this addiction. James tells us, confess your sins to your brothers, and you will be freed. And so what I did was the next Bible study, I was in a Bible study with a group of my closest friends. I just openly confessed the addiction to them. And from that moment on, I have felt so much freedom in Christ. Now Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. All that guilt and that shame that I felt before I met Jesus was finally taken from me. On the cross, Jesus took my guilt and my shame, and no longer do I have to live enslaved to the addiction to pornography anymore. I can live in true freedom. And I'm not going to lie, the temptation's still there. There's still always temptation to lust. But I realized in that moment of temptation that Jesus is far better than that sin. And so the life I now live is a life constantly pursuing my joy in Christ, and no longer my joy in pornography. When we place our faith in Christ through the gospel, the resurrection gives us security through understanding that we have ultimate victory over sin and over death. And we find that by defeating sin in our own life. The second eternal blessing I want you to see today is found in verses 35 through 49. And here it is. That when we place our faith in Jesus through the gospel, the resurrection destroys the fear of death for God's greater glory or for God's greater purpose for our life. 
Friends, the, the issue that Paul's addressing here is a common issue again to all of us because they were asking, is this life worth living? They were anxious. They were fearful. Life was out of their control and they weren't sure if it meant anything for them. And, and what was taking place is they were wondering because of the reality of this mortal body, if the resurrection could do anything about that ultimately, which also infers they're wondering, does Jesus matter for now? You see, this is what I call the reality of mortality. We see it in our bodies in different ways. As we age, our mind makes us think things about our lives that our body confirms are not true, right? The older I get, the better I was. Right? I mean, something like that anyway. And, and that's one simple way, but there are also greater ways. And there are ways in which we must ask ourselves about the reality of mortality. For much pleasures and much good are given to us in this world by our bodies. But these questions remain, and they hound us, and they hound us in those times when life is beyond our control. When our answers don't satisfy the longing from which our questions grow. Have you wondered in your life if the reality of pain, if the reality of suffering, if the reality of evil in our world actually proves that God isn't who he says that he is? Or if God's not really worth it whether he is who he says or not. Do you know this is recorded as likely the number one issue that keeps people from placing their faith in God today? The reality of pain, of suffering, and evil in the world. And the Corinthians were addressing it. It wasn't unique to the Corinthians though. And it's not unique for us. But because of the resurrection, it's not ultimate for us either. Let me read for us just a couple of verses. Verse 42 and then verse 45 through 49. And see how the gospel gives courage to keep going because of the resurrection. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, he says. What is sown is perishable, mortal. What is raised is imperishable, immortal. And then verse 45, thus it is written, the first Adam, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. You see, the reality of mortality is when fear, when anxiety, when the things of life that we can't control or answer overwhelm us. And we're faced with hard questions. And in those moments, in those moments when life is beyond our ability or control, and Christ is our first importance, 
I commend you today that he gives courage to keep going. Again, I want you to hear a testimony of one of our own, of how in the midst of the reality of mortality, they found courage in Jesus. I've got death looming at my door every day. I, I know this. In October of 2004, Preston ended up in the ER, and it was in the ER that we found out that he had a large brain tumor. I was talking to my brother-in-law on my cell phone with my left hand, and my left arm all of a sudden just straightened out uncontrollably as I watched it happen. And uh, I said, I think I'm having a stroke. And he, he thought I was joking, and he, he said the line went dead. And uh, basically, he ended up calling Tracy, and they ended up getting me to the hospital. I had, a, I had blacked out, had a seizure, not a flippy floppy seizure, but just, just passed out. And uh, they took me to the hospital, and uh, that's when we found out that I had a brain tumor. So they scheduled surgery, and the surgeon was able to get almost all of the tumor, and then they followed up later with radiation to get the rest of the tumor. The pathology report came back that the tumor was benign, but we were told that even though it was benign, that it was very likely that this tumor would grow back, and the life expectancy for someone with this type of tumor was about seven and a half years. At the time, I had a little bit of detriment in my left fingers, but that was it. I could walk, I could talk normally. Uh, it really, I walked, came out of that surgery just fine, which was a huge blessing. They said, your best bet is gonna be radiation because everybody else that's had your type of tumor, this is what they did. And uh, so that's, that's what we did. I remember laying in the, laying on the flat cold steel uh, table and that big machine coming over me. I knew that radiation was going through me and I was thinking, oh God, here we go. We had two kids in that time period and um, Preston um, had a thriving photography business and I was a stay-at-home mom at that point. And so life was good and, and it was easy. So in September of 2009, we were in the middle of moving from Springfield to Ozark, and I think we had sold our house in Springfield and we were buying our house in Ozark when we got the first call that this most recent MRI was not clear. In May of 2014, Preston had his second brain surgery, and this brain surgery proved to be much more difficult on him. After the surgery, um, Preston was left with a lot more deficits, and the pathology from this surgery came back showing that the tumor was now malignant. The first round of chemo that I did was uh, not as punchy and I was able to continue working my business. I ended up photographing a whole wedding season and then I was stable for about six months and then it started growing again so they were like hey we need to use this type of chemo However, it's going to be a little bit more punchy. It's going to, you're not going to feel as well with this stuff. So at that point, I realized that I would have to make a change. I would not be able to continue doing my business. So I shut down my studio, sold the weddings I had to another photographer. 
and started selling timeshare down at Big Cedar Lodge. And I did that while I was on chemo. The whole, in hopes of keeping our, our lifestyle where it was, Tracy was staying home with the kids, raising the family. I was the main breadwinner. That's how we always thought things would be. And uh, so I, I did pretty well down there, but the chemotherapy was starting to really get, get to me. And uh, I'd get sick in the morning and I'd go to work and my week, my, my voice would get weak. I couldn't present uh, well. My hand would start shaking a little bit more. I couldn't write, I'm left-handed. Uh, so eventually, what happens down there in timeshare, you're, when, you're, you're, when your numbers drop, they, they just they, they let you go. And uh, I was doing everything I could to just stay on point. And it just was not possible anymore. So being in the position to where I could not work anymore, that became a very big struggle for me, knowing that our life was going to dramatically change. We have two young kids and lots of family and friends that have walked through this with us. And um, I realized it's so important to just take time um, to just invest in those relationships and enjoy moments and just enjoy life. Um, to just trust even during the hard times that God is going to take care of us and it doesn't mean that he's just magically going to make it easy for you. It doesn't mean he's going to take away all the obstacles. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, when you become a Christian that life is, is easy by any means. Um, but God is there and he's going to walk through it with you. Um, he's going to give you what you really need. Truly, like our hope is in Jesus. Um, and where we're at here on earth, it really is just a blink of an eye. And God has so much more for us than what we're experiencing here on earth. And you have to just appreciate the life that God has given you. Throughout all of this, here we are, almost, almost 12 years later, I have to have to share that God takes care of his people, of his flock. He blesses them through people that love us. And uh, it's not going to be easy. You know, I mean, there's no place in the Bible that says, hey, you become a Christian. You're gonna have it made. God's gonna give you all this stuff. You're gonna have lots of possessions. Your life's gonna be perfect. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're an example of a, a, a life that has not been perfect. Um, but I can tell you one thing, that going through this has been really, ultimately, a blessing. I don't feel that I would be the same husband, the same father, the same Christian, the same friend, the same at all uh, without this. I, I feel that I'm much better.
for what I have. God has given me just a, a real, real peace about the simple fact that I know my days are numbered. So life is never going to be the way it was with us, but no matter what you go through in life, you just have to hang on to, to the truth of what God says that he will take care of his sheep. And I can speak from experience that he has taken care of us through so many different ways. Just the love of our church, the love of our friends, family. It's not okay to just give up. And we're not giving up. came to realize God has so much more for us and to realize that my days were numbered and yet it didn't mean that they were meaningless. You see, when by faith we trust in Jesus, the resurrection provides us courage to keep going so that we can live for God's greater purpose for our life. What a blessing that is. The third eternal blessing I want to offer to you today is found in verses 12 through 34 of 1 Corinthians 15. And it's simply this, that when we place our faith in Jesus through the gospel, the resurrection fills us with the hope of eternity for now. The hope of eternity for now. Friends, have you ever found yourself asking a question like, is there really life after death? And the thing that that question most poses for us to consider is that we have to ask, is there more to this life? Because if there's not life after death, it says something specific about this life now. And that's what the gospel provides for us. Look with me. In verse 19, and listen to these words. Paul writes, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we, speaking of Christians, are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen or sleep. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, Jesus' resurrection, he's the first fruit, and it means that there is eternal life after death. But more than just that, eternal life doesn't begin once you die. It begins the moment you place your faith in Jesus. And the resurrection means that there is more to this life. There's more meaning. There's more purpose. And every moment of the here and now matters for all eternity. And that is the hope in which we live. Hope. One last testimony I want you to hear today about how a lady found hope in the midst of a situation that caused her to question everything about life. 
in February of 2014, I came face to face with death when my husband chose to end his life. I have three kids. Uh, two were still at home and one was away at college. Uh, I would describe my life as pretty close to perfect. Um, I had a kind, loving husband. Um, we were very active in friendships and community and in our church. Uh, I was living my dream life. In the beginning, I was very numb. I did not know how to feel or what to think. I was dealing with a lot of different emotions at once. Uh, loss of my husband, death, suicide, trying to take care of my children and lead them, and I had no idea what to think or feel. It was very hard to go in public. I felt like everyone was staring at me and talking about me, and just really hard to hold my head high. So I decided to take my kids to the happiest place on earth to get them away from everything and to go to Disney World. And um, chose to drove just to have my family all alone in my car and not be around other people. And on the way back is when the pain and the darkness really started hitting me. And I knew I was going home to an empty home and I started feeling like I just wanted to die as well. As I was passing the trucks that were going the other direction, um, my mind, I started wondering how I could take my car across the highway and just end up for all of us. But something in my mind just kept telling me it's not the answer. The first few months, I just forced myself out of bed, uh, kept myself going, uh, tried to uh, keep my kids busy and keep my kids active and just keep pushing forward. I found myself shrinking away from relationships and from people. I um, was just having a hard time having conversations and relating. I felt like nobody could relate to me because of what I was going through. After I got home from our vacation, I was uh, very overwhelmed with everything I had to do to keep my family going and to keep trying to move forward. Um, I had people asking me questions and making me feel like I should be in a different place than what I was and I just felt stuck and I, I would have loved to have had the right answer on how to move on but I wasn't seeming to find it anywhere I looked. Um, my biggest worry was my children and how they were being affected by this. And I noticed them um, pulling away and their sadness and I was trying to take care of my own sadness and, and help them with theirs and um, I felt as if I couldn't do it. I had no idea of how to help them through this, the loss of their father. You know, God reminded me through all of this of another trial that I had gone through several years before and how he had worked everything out perfectly in his own timing and his own way and how it took me a couple of years, but how I was able to look back and see what God had done in my life. And that was the hope that I had that I just kept clinging to, that I knew that God was going to see me through this and I knew that it was the only way and that his timing was going to be perfect in it. But yet I still try to take things in my own hand many times and uh, pretty much failed every time that I did. 
it's been two years now, and for quite a while, I just didn't feel like God was even talking to me. Um, I didn't always feel like He was around. And just recently, He really started pressing upon my heart some things that were in my life that I needed to start peeling away, and um, ways that I had gone back to from previously, before I followed with Christ. And I started slowly peeling away these things that I uh, felt were not pleasing to Him. And as I was doing that, I could hear Him speaking more and more to me. I uh, started listening more closely. Uh, God spoke to me about um, changes in my life, about a fresh start with my getting baptized again. Um, he talked to me about giving up some relationships that I had found myself in. Uh, that were just leading to more loneliness and bitterness and talk to me about my heart and the the hard heart that I had towards my husband, towards many people and how I needed to start just giving it all up and giving it all to him and start working on forgiveness and I suddenly had this peace that just came in my life and I just felt it all just flow out of me and the Lord just uh, took away every bit of bitterness and anger, and I found forgiveness in ways that I never thought I would, and of people that I, I never thought I could, and uh, just a real peace in my heart. My greatest joy right now is in my children and seeing how they are coming up through this and uh, loving the Lord and uh, growing closer, and. Um, their happiness is coming back. I see light in their eyes. For myself, I find myself uh, wanting to have relationships with people that I was not wanting to have. Um, I have no more problems holding my head high. I'm not letting my husband's choice define me any longer. Um, just brought real peace into my heart. If you would find yourself in a dark place without hope as I did, I would encourage you to rely on the Lord. Do not rely on your own ways because they lead to dead ends. Um, keep going, keep moving, keep getting up. Don't give up hope. When we place our faith in Jesus through the gospel, the resurrection provides eternal hope for our life. That's the third blessing. The fourth blessing I would offer to you, verse 58 of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, therefore. In other words, because the gospel has brought you to Jesus and reconciled you to God. You have hope, you have courage, you have victory. Paul says this, therefore, do all that you do to the glory of God. The fourth eternal blessing that we have through the resurrection is that we can live this eternal life now. We can live this eternal life now. See, friends, I want to return us to that first question where I ask you, what is it that matters most to you in your life? What is of first importance to you? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Because you may not be at one of those ultimate moments in your life today. You might be at a minuscule moment. 
life's okay for you. You're doing well. Things are going smoothly and everything seems to be clicking for you. But listen, if you're not holding to Jesus in that moment, you will not turn to him so he can hold you when the ultimate moments arrive. And so I want to encourage you today. I want to persuade you because of these four eternal blessings to to turn from your sin, to repent, and to put your faith in Jesus that he might be able to hold you in the eternal life that only he can give. And if today you would say for the first time, I've never repented of my sins, I've never turned away from myself, I've never put my faith in Jesus to trust in Him and receive Him as my Savior and as my Lord, I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. I want to ask you, please, to persuade you to do this today. Set Christ as your first importance, your first priority in life, so that when you hold to Him, you will find that it's actually Him holding you. And you'll have the hope, you'll have the courage, and you'll have the victory that only He can give. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?